Have you ever had this kind of project in your mind, like you designed it, you saw it, you could picture it, and then when you actually created it or tried to make it happen, it looked like completely different. In fact, it was kind of maybe horrible. Well, uh, look at some of these pictures. This one probably somebody was aiming for efficiency and totally missed the mark. Um, this, this next one, uh, maybe the artist was going for avant-garde. I'm not sure, but um, anyways, it's your choice if you like it or not. <laughs> and then this other one was probably designed for a very, very tall individual um, and maybe as well for efficiency. Who knows? I don't know. But when I look at those pictures, I think they probably had something in their minds and it didn't work out. Has that ever happened to you where, some, like, think about it. How can something get so off course that it completely misses the mark of the original design. Last week, I left us sitting in contrast, sitting or in the contrast. Think about this. We, last week, we looked through kind of this big picture of God's vision for humanity. He created humans to be image bearers, to have a purpose and a vocation to create and contribute and cultivate to be people of shalom and well-being and then for justice and equity and fairness. And when you think of that original design and what the world often looks like, you got to stop and say, wow, what a contrast. And last week we, we lamented. I, I left us leaving so we could lament the contrast between God's vision and particularly in this theme that we're talking about the last couple of weeks, the racial injustice in our world. I mean, there's other things that we can possibly consider, but right now we're looking at this particular topic for an important reason. And I ask the question today, as we wrap up this series, where do we move from here? How can we move towards racial justice? You might think about it this way. How can we move from learning to lamenting to living? Because we started a couple of weeks ago just listening. Last week, we tried to get a picture of God's heart for humanity. We want to move today to what it means to live justly. Now, if we just take the words of Jesus, think about his signature words, the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your mind and strength. And then Jesus says, Couples with that, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also said that to do to others what you would have them do to you. And interestingly enough, both of those phrases, both of those, uh, those sentences, Jesus says sums up the law and the prophets. Like almost everything that God desires for you and me can be summed up in those words. And they are connected to the biblical theme of justice that we spoke a little bit about last week as well. Here's a couple of phrases from some Old Testament prophets that have been considered anchor themes in uh, the Bible. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He, or God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Here's the opening paragraph of Isaiah, Isaiah's vision from the Lord for Israel. And what we see all throughout Isaiah is a beautiful picture of where God wants to even end new creation. But listen how he starts off in this chapter, verse 17. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. 
Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Here's one more from Jeremiah. As he's speaking to Judah, kind of an arm uh, that split off from, from Israel. As Judah wasn't seeking justice, here's God's word to them through Jeremiah. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They've become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the cause, the just cause of the poor. Here's kind of a picture of of the prophetic voice of Scripture towards justice. I love the the short, succinct call in Isaiah 1, verse 17. There's one line there that I just want to focus on for today, where Isaiah says, learn to do right and seek justice. Now, that's not merely spiritual or emotional or theoretical. It's not just an idea. It's this kind of on-the-ground, rubber-meets-the-road, practical kind of application with these words. And I want us today to hear it as a call, a call to help us move from learning about things like justice to living justly. Now, I'm going to assume something because I'm not going to talk about this too much today, but I just want to make this assumption that I'm assuming, and, I'm, and possibly many of you are as well, that we understand that the gospel is the foundation for all reconciliation, including racial We read from Ephesians 2 a couple of weeks ago that helped us understand that God is in Christ has broken the hostility between people and between us and him. We know that the Holy Spirit works in tandem with the reconciling work of the gospel in us. But I want to ask the question, what can we do? Because even Christians fall short in this so often. What can we do to grow? What can we do to close the gap? What can we do to even follow Isaiah's words, to learn to do right and seek justice? What can we do to be contributors and not merely commentators on the world? There's an author by the name of Jamar Tisby. He wrote this incredible book called The Color of Compromise. I've read books in the past about racial justice and about some similar topics, but I picked this one up recently. He's a Christian, he's a historian, he's a writer. He's, uh, he, and he's often been asked this question, especially because he's part of the black community, and you might see his writings in Christianity Today or the Gospel Coalition or some of those publications. And he's often asked, especially by non-blacks, Jamar, what can we do? What can I do? How can I play a part? And after being asked so many times, he's created this kind of framework that he calls the ARC framework. A-R-C. Awareness, relationship, commitment. I want to use it today to wrap up our series. And the first word he uses is awareness. This idea that we must become aware of the issues. We must become aware of what's going on in culture, what's going on in our own hearts. This fits in with Isaiah's word, learn to do what's right, the learning part, the learning what we or others have done wrong, the learning how the system works or doesn't work, or maybe how the system is broken in certain places, to learn how to do right, awareness. This fits in with the Christian tradition of spiritual formation, we know that God is continually doing a work in us. We're, we're on a journey in Christ from brokenness to wholeness, from who you were to who you're becoming in Christ. 
And that often means becoming aware of our own sin, our own brokenness, our own contribution to injustice, regardless of how ugly that is. I think of the life of Peter. Peter's life, the Apostle Peter in the Gospels and in the the, the New Testament, is a perfect example of a journey. Here's Peter, one of Jesus' disciples leading up to Jesus' death. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Peter grabs a sword, cuts, cuts the ear off of a soldier. Jesus, like Peter, that's not what I was really discipling you for. Let's fix this. And Peter, Jesus, you know, literally heals the ear. There's a moment leading uh, really, really close to the days around Jesus' death that Peter denies Christ three times. I mean, this disciple that was with him for three and a half years. Then there's this other moment where he's struggling. This is like post the resurrection, post Pentecost, post the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit, where he's struggling to welcome non-Jews into the church. And he's a dream and a vision. The Holy Spirit grabs his attention, convicts him, shakes him up. See, every time he became aware, he grew out of it and moved forward into the life God wanted. Jamar says this, to increase your capacity to fight your own complicity in racism, you can start by increasing your awareness of the issues and the people involved. That's so vital. That's what part of this series has been about. And we're just starting. This is just the beginning of a conversation of of what it means maybe for you to be in conversations and read and fact check and reflect on these things. But we must become aware. The next point that Jamar talks about is relationship. Because think about this. Books and stats and websites are a great start, but they're only a start. I mean, The reality is is that only when we get to know real people who've been negatively affected or are on the negative effect end of racial injustice do we really start to understand some of these issues. Jamar says, awareness isn't enough. No matter how aware you are, your knowledge will remain abstract and theoretical until you care about the people who face the negative consequences of racism until you care. Now, I know that some of us in our own church community care more about this than others. And it's very likely because you know or you care about someone who's affected by this issue. You've moved from awareness to relationship. And it's so important. There's a study by the Religious Research Institute. It's kind of an interesting title. It's, they call it the 100 Friends Scenario Among Whites. And it states this, that, that um, generally among 100 white people, they will know together one black person, one Latin person, and one Asian person. On the flip side, 100 black people together might know eight white people, two Latin people, and zero Asian people. Interesting. It really helps us understand that historical segregation plus the tendency for you and me to spend time, time with the people we know the most or that are most like us usually equals homogeneous social networks. That's kind of just what tends to happen. And yet when we think about the, 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 
the faith that we see growing in the New Testament and the kind of church and community, we see an often a call to hospitality in the New Testament that extends welcome to people that don't look like us. Like Peter was called to extend welcome to non-Jews. And then Peter later in his letter says that that's very thing, be hospitable to one another and to others. Now, I'm going to be honest. I know that probably 85 or 90% of you that are watching today are either Caucasian or white or non-black or non-indigenous. And that's part of the reality of the makeup, possibly, of our church community. I'm not unaware of that. I understand that. And it's not something we can just change overnight. But it is something that has really quickly come to my attention even more so in the last couple of weeks. And I think part of that has to do with our relationships. I don't feel, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody or us as a church in some way. I, I think there's room for us to grow, each of us individually and us collectively as a church in this. But I want us to consider this. If God uses you or me to build our church community, now yes, Jesus builds the church, but he uses us to partner in the gospel. So if God uses us to extend the gospel to people around us and, and to serve the world, and we believe that he's at work in our neighborhoods and our networks, then consider this for a moment. What, the most natural way to diversify our church community is if our social networks were more diverse. If you and me had more diverse friends, the church would grow in diversity. A diverse church is probably um, will grow out of a diverse circle of friends. I mean, there's other ways that we can be intentional about this, but I think this is the most natural way when I think about Jamar's call to relationship. So this relational step is so simple. Get to know the diverse beauty among God's image bearers around you. Let's do that. That's so vital. Here's this next piece and this last piece that Jamar talks about. He calls it commitment. And, and I hear this word in the prophetic call of Isaiah where he says, learn to do right. Learn to seek justice. Or like Micah says, act justly. Or even Jesus, when he calls us to love our neighbor and they're asking him what a neighbor looks like and he describes this incredible story of what a neighbor looks like, he finishes the story by saying, go and do likewise. That's, that reflects this word commitment. But that's one of the hardest steps. It's one of the hardest steps in most anything in life, but it's one of the hardest steps in this as well, to actually do things, to actually do things that, that break down racial injustice. And please, hear me out here. I'm not telling, I'm not speaking to you as I'm speaking above you. These are areas I need to grow in, and I believe we all need to grow in. But it's one of the hardest steps. That's why I appreciate so much the honesty of the New Testament when we read it. The New Testament doesn't hide the struggle of the early church or the first Christians or even among the apostles. I mean, all of Paul's letters are addressing specific issues that are going on locally in their context, a variety of issues. And Paul, you know, we can read those as information, but the New Testament letters are always information with the very intent of transformation. Paul's letters are not just a TED Talk. Paul's letters are intended to instruct and to lead towards transformation. 
And there's some challenging moments in the New Testament that I think are just amazing. One is with Peter, right? I told you that he was struggling to welcome non-Jews. And we, you know, in Acts chapter 10, we read that God gave him a vision, that he, he began welcoming people beyond the Jews into the church. He was convicted. But apparently, um, he's still struggling with this. And apparently, as he's struggling with this, Paul is upset at him. And Paul in Galatians speaks to the Galatian church about how upset he is with Peter. Peter is still struggling to be fully inclusive to the Gentiles when certain Jews are around. He gets nervous. He's worried about his reputation. He's, he's worried about what they're going to think. And this, these are Paul's words in Galatians 2. It's phenomenal. He says about Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. They were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Those are Paul's words. Ouch. Oh, man. Paul just like comes strongly, courageously against Peter's actions and decisions that really on the outset looked unjust. There's another letter that Paul writes to someone named Philemon. Philemon was likely a wealthy person. He likely owned slaves. And one, one slave at the time, or uh, well, his name was Onesimus. And Onesimus runs away. And ironically, uh, while he's run off, he meets the Apostle Paul in some other city. And Paul must share the gospel with him. Onesimus becomes a follower of Christ. This is amazing. This person that, he, that knows someone back that he knew, Philemon, becomes a Christ follower. But he also realizes Onesimus is Philemon's slave. Paul writes, Paul writes his whole letter to Philemon to challenge Philemon to welcome back Onesimus as a brother, not a slave. Talk about a hard letter to write. Talk about a hard letter to read. This is, here's some of the words from Paul in this letter. Speaking to Philemon that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Did you hear this, this challenge to Philemon? And not just Philemon, Paul puts himself, Paul's committed to this. Paul says, listen, if you can't accept him back because he owes you something, charge it to me. I'll pay it. I'll pay Onesimus' bill. I'll fix this up so you can accept him as a brother. I will be a contributor to breaking down this injustice. This is practical commitment to justice in the community. And I love how the New Testament helps us wrestle with this. See, Christians didn't merely learn about the reconciliation of the gospel. They didn't merely, you know, uh, you know, read about the hostility being broken down between the barriers like Ephesians 2 says. They didn't just recite Jesus' words to love God and love your neighbor. No, they loved and they served and they broke down barriers. They broke down injustices. Justice was showing up in public through their love. Through their love through their lives. That's our call to commitment. Now in our day and age, right now, what are some maybe initial steps? Maybe commitment for you and me might look like raising our voice. Raising our voice for those that need some extra voices to plead their cause. Maybe it means involvement 
in the community in some way, involvement in various pockets, involvement with something that brings change, systemic change in our culture. Maybe it's the courage to take a stand for someone like Paul took for Onesimus. Maybe it's the courage to speak to someone like Paul spoke to Peter. But the commitment really starts. These are all things we can do outside and in our culture. But let me just invite you into this. The commitment starts in our church. The commitment starts in our community. If the gospel is the foundation of reconciliation, then it must start here. It must start in our relationships. It must start in the broadening of diversity here. Reconciliation must happen here. Diversity must grow here. Collaboration must start here. Justice must flourish here. Because this is a pocket of God's kingdom. And yes, we might fail and we might mess up and we might have to get up and keep going and growing in our journey. But the call is to start right here. That we would reflect in some way the different races of our community but that we would reflect the reconciliation of God's kingdom community. That's why, you know, commitment is the hardest thing. But what we have is the gospel working in our hearts and the Holy Spirit working in us. Awareness, relationship, commitment. Now, just before we wrap up, I want to just set you up because you will hit obstacles. We will hit obstacles if we move forward. In, in any of these things. And one of the obstacles you're going to face is sometimes even comes from Christians because Christians will often say something like, it's the internal change. If people would just believe the gospel, then everything would change. Of course, if people would believe the gospel, things would change. I believe that God changes hearts and that changed hearts change lives. But we must be careful to not overly individualize the gospel that we rob it of its external effect. Because sometimes the gospel can just be like, sits on my shelf, saved me, that's good. It's reconciled me with God, maybe with someone in my household, but not beyond that. And so let's be careful when people spout out this idea that it's only internal change that's going to change. That, you know what, let's let the external stuff just happen on its own. No, and then we become apathetic. So be aware that you will hit that obstacle. You know, if your spouse or your kid was being bullied at work, would you pray for the person's salvation? I hope so. Would you uh, seek opportunity to share the gospel with them? That'd be a really great idea. But let me ask you this question. Would you wait for internal change to happen in that person's heart before you confront them for bullying your spouse? I don't think you would. Would you sit and wait and just say, Lord, change their heart, change their heart, change their heart while your spouse is being bullied or your kid? Or would you say, how can we do something to courageously say this is not right. So both are needed, internal and external change. But here's the other obstacle you're going to hit, and I'm going to say this quickly. It's your reputation. You will fear, and I will fear, sometimes for my, our reputation, because standing up for justice can get messy. 
And standing up for justice might give the perception that we're associating with a group or a people or an organization. And sometimes we're viewed as supporting some political organization or some other organization. Sometimes you're going to be labeled left or sometimes you're going to be labeled right or sometimes you're going to be labeled a socialist and sometimes you're going to be labeled a capitalist and sometimes you're going to be labeled a liberal or an NDP or a conservative. I don't know. But you know what? The early church didn't worry about labels. They fed those who needed food. They stood up for those who were being treated unjustly. They went and picked up those babies who were thrown in a garbage heap. They were labeled, probably, one way or another. Jesus was labeled. Let me just say this. No political party owns Christian values. None of them. You might see a little bit here, a little bit there. None of them own it. None of them own you or me. It will look messy. It will get messy when we grow in our commitment because commitment can get messy. And so be aware of that as we pursue awareness, relationship, commitment. Be aware of some of those obstacles. If you got more questions or other things that come to mind, I'd love to hear some of the questions because I'm learning in this as well. And I'd love to process that together as a community. But let me just end by saying, we must learn to do right and seek justice. Let's take Isaiah's words to heart. Learn to do right and seek justice. I met a guy named Ben a couple of years ago. He's a Christian leader. I met him in Boston uh, in a conference. And this guy now pastors in Georgia. And his daughter is a beautiful, beautiful girl. A beautiful, beautiful black girl. Ben's a white guy. And as I got to know Ben and I've heard some of his stories and he posts certain things on Facebook and so we know each other, we've been keeping track that way, he's helped me understand why his black daughter's life matters. It has nothing to do with an organization. It has nothing to do with how anybody's labeled. It's not political. It's personal. It's people. It's his daughter. And that's why we must learn to do right. We must learn to seek justice. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us to become aware of what is necessary to really see this topic clearly, but also to keep learning what's on your heart and be influenced by you. Help us, God, even in these simple relational steps. And that's for all of us, regardless of what ethnicity or color we are that we would grow our relational circles to welcome others. God, give us the conviction and wisdom as we move towards commitment. We invite your Holy Spirit to guide that because we desperately need your guidance, your voice, your truth. Yeah, God, we, and we thank you that at the foundation of what we're talking about is a gospel that reconciles, a gospel that brings together a gospel that breaks down barriers. We know we're standing on that truth and that power. In Jesus' name, amen.